This is a show about individual experience and personal identity. There may be times when folks use identifying words or phrases that don't feel right to you. That's part of what we're exploring here. Please listen with an open heart, and as always, I welcome your polite, engaged feedback, and I encourage you to continue the conversation in your own life and with your own community. Welcome to Query. Hey, Queeros, Cammie here. Well, it is our first episode back after an extended break. I was in Vancouver doing a job that made it so hard to do query at the same time. And actually, I'm going to continue doing that job um, a couple times this month, and then you're going to get to see it. It's going to start in February, and I'll tell you more about it as I can. Oof, I'm really, really excited. Hey, today on the show, we have Daniel Rugg Webb, hilarious comic and real sweetheart. I really liked this conversation, and what a nice way to start 2022 um, with a comic that I really respect and who I think is hilarious. So please check out Daniel's stuff. Um, And one final thing. You know, something that so many of your fellow listeners do to support this show is they go to patreon.com slash heyqueeros and they become patrons of this show. There's like awesome perks. You could hang out with us um, during our special Patreon patron meetup. And that's Ruby shaking her head and body and collar is jingling. And that's because she's telling you to go to patreon.com slash heyqueeros. Please enjoy this chat with... Daniel Rugg Webb. I've been feeling wrong, but I'm still holding on, darling. I know, I know, I know it's careless. Hi. I always um, I always have guests introduce themselves. Oh, do you want to introduce yourself? Sure. Um, hi, my name is Shrieking Faggot Daniel Webb. I, you can bleep the F word. Some people don't like it. Uh, I'm a comedian, piano player, uh, and verse top from Texas living in East Hollywood. Mm. <laughs> do you, and actually, I mean, let's just start right there. Do you like that word? Is that a word you like? Um, I use it, but it's usually in, in, in an aggressive way. Um, I use it because I am one and it's been thrown at me, but I, I recognize it as a violent word and I recognize it as a word that people are like murdered to. So I kind of. I don't want to give permission to use it by using it. Do you know what I mean? But my onstage joke is I don't use the word faggot to reclaim it for my oppressors. I use it because I hate gay people, um, which I think is funny. Uh, but yeah, I go, I go both ways with it because I, I feel a, a privilege to use it, but it, it's nothing but a mean word, you know. But in L.A., when people are driving awful, I love to say people are driving like a bunch of faggots. <laughs> wow. I mean, I think especially in stand up, I don't know. I mean, I'm not, so I don't use that. I don't like, it doesn't, it's not a word that I've been called, so I don't use it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that in stand up, it's, it's pretty hard for me because like to, to like, I guess maybe I, I'm trying to think if I've even, even used the word dyke on stage. I definitely use the word dyke on a hat, you know, something like that. <laughs> um, but it also has a different, um relationship to our field specifically because people don't i don't hear people use the word dyke but i I do hear a lot of at least this is like something from the past i'm trying to think if i've seen this recently but it always comes back is like some straight dude who uses that word to um identify that it's something he's been called Mm -hmm. um and then sort of has a some a witty joke about (laughs) that um and i I, I guess I find that it's like a word that feels pervasive to me in stand-up in like a way that gives me a little bit of a sigh where I'm just like, mm-hmm. all right, you know, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. all right, you know, congrats, congrats. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but most people that are saying it are not you. Like most people that are saying it are not from within the community that it applies to. In my experience. It has a bite to it. And that's all, and just honestly, the, the, like, sonic the kind of phonetics of the word like the double g with the t at the end really has just like a really good bite when you kind of hurl it out uh but the way i'm using it now is i mean i do say it a little bit i i layer it through my set now and then i i with the with the idea that i can say that that's my whole point that i have privilege but right now i i level it with uh 
because I end up talking about the insurrectionists, all the fucking Trump psychopaths, like the conspiracy theorists, people who are destroying our country. When I bring them up, I say, can we talk about the people who stormed the Capitol? And usually everybody kind of gets tense because it's a political direction. And then I just say, can we talk about those faggots for one fucking second? And then that always gets everybody. Everybody laughs because it's like, yeah, they were a bunch of faggots. Which I don't know why, but that always releases the tension when I bring up the insurrections. That's the people start clapping. Wow, I'm 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 trying to understand what rooms you're playing that people are <laughs> feeling tight about the insurrection. Like truly. Oh no, not tight. Like, I mean, like it's a like we're 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 about to we're about to make fun of them. Not we're not about to support them. That's it. Okay, got it. Um, I'm like, where are you performing that uh, that your audience is like, <laughs> we're really pro-insurrection? Well, where I mean, to answer L- that question, Vegas or oh, Texas yeah. or <laughs> yeah. places like that, for sure. Yeah. Well, are you getting back? I don't know what your um, <laughs> What's you know, your life point? has been like in terms of live performance in the last couple of years. I know I've seen some some photos of you in various places because of the Internet, but I have, you know, it's like that can be very different than what somebody's real life has been like sure so what what has that been like have you been touring around you've been playing vegas you've been playing um, texas recently I haven't, haven't been to uh was in texas so prior to pandemic um like right when that year started whatever that was 2020 where are we 2020 i was margaret cho's opener which was amazing um and just a couple months into that everything got shut down and so i uh, was lucky to find work um, in the time that we were down. Uh, I already had a weird, well, not a weird, I had an opportunity to film a special that was supposed to be in New York in a theater, but because of pandemic, it was with Tribeca and uh, Comedy Dynamics. They moved because of quarantine, and this was July of 2020. Um, we recorded all of our specials at the Rose Bowl. Yeah. With everybody in their cars, and it was it was more of like a science experiment than like a comedy show. Uh so I was able to find really weird, and I mean, just like that would have never happened if it weren't for pandemic. That's what I mean by weird. Uh, yeah. Work. Um, I did college gigs that luckily translated online. You know, you could do Zoom stuff. But just in the last, like, since August, really, um, back on the road with Margaret Cho and doing LA shows and, and New York shows back and forth, it's only, I don't know about you, but just slowly clicking back with confidence, like in the last, like, five-ish months, four months, maybe. Um. Yeah. Well, I mean, for, I think for me, uh, I was doing a lot of stuff on Zoom and then I don't totally feel, I mean, I've done some shows and I did like a little mini tour in mm-hmm. the fall um, and I've done some sh- some shows here in LA, but um, it like doesn't feel the safest to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, I think there was a time in the summer briefly where things felt okay for a minute, but mm-hmm. it doesn't feel the safest for me. Um to do the live version of things, even though it's been very fun. Mm -hmm. Um, It's also been like very nerve wracking. So Mm -hmm. I think I'm going to like hang back from that for a minute. Um, We, I'm in a, I'm in a place where like, and I know, I think everybody feels like this, but pre pandemic, I felt like I was just about somewhere. Right. So everybody wants to make sure they're at least still in that place. And I'm not, like I'm eager, there's work I want and I need, but I'm kind of with you on the like safety thing. Cause like right now I'm looking at my calendar right now and I'm luckily booked through June, but I don't feel confident about that at all. And as I speak, like today I'm canceling January dates. There are other January, they're, they're not getting canceled this time. They're getting rescheduled as opposed to canceled like a year ago when it was all bleak. But likewise, things are moving. You know what I mean? And I'm looking at my whole January calendar is getting eaten up. And it's two things. I'm glad it's because of a safety thing, right? Like we're being precautious. Um, but then I see everybody else out on the road. Clubs are open. Everybody's doing it. So both are happening at the same time, right? People are booked and working. And I'm kind of trying to be, I don't want to be a super spreader. <laughs> you know? Well, also also not, I mean, I don't know. It just for me, um, not everybody is doing the same thing. And that's an interesting thing, I think, for, like, maybe this is just, you know, outside of our field for anybody listening that does all their jobs, which is, like, everybody <laughs> listening. Well, then um, why would they be that, listening? Yeah, that, um, you know, I think for a long time, like, jobs 
like everything looked the same way. Like if you're going to do stand up, that looks the same way. But I don't know that that's true right now. Like I think people are actually making some different choices and doing different things. Um, and that's kind of weird because I think for a long time, it's like you like there's a lot of pressure to do a certain thing. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that I'm seeing that right now. I think I'm seeing people make different choices. And that feels like it actually kind of flies in the face of like the tradition of stand up, which is like you do exactly what was done by the people before you or else mm. you're not taken seriously. Ah. And we're like in a different we're like in a bit of a flipped uh, uh, timeline. And a bit of that, what I think happened. So I'm like a diehard. I love stand up. It's not the only thing I want to do. It's not the only thing I can do. It's like the actually the last kind of like artistic medium I've I've tried right i'm a musician i'm an artist i do everything uh, wait i didn't know that oh yeah I, stop I, there for a teeny second okay what what else did you try <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm i'm a musician i played piano my whole life i played at the rose bowl i, I demanded having a, a piano there so i was in bands forever before i started stand up um and but like, what kind of piano like talk to me about what do you mean um so myself i compose like instrumental music i have a few <laughs> albums and stuff i used to record and do shows um, I have a Fender Rhodes that I love to play. It's just kind of trippy, boring music that nobody ever wanted to pay for. Uh, <laughs> but, but then I was in bands too. I don't know if you can see, I have a bass guitar over there and I've got a bunch of keyboards over there. So I was in bands in Austin and, uh, I was in like a hip hop band and a blues band and, you know, no. Oh, I'll, I didn't know that about you. Yeah, it was, that was when I had long hair. It made more sense. Uh, I remember that long hair. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was, it makes more sense when I'm playing music than on stage. But, uh, but I paint and draw. This is not my painting. This is a painting by somebody else. Uh, but yeah, so I, why did I bring any of that up? Um, oh yeah, I'm a diehard comic or stand-up and then I just love it. Um, but I'm a writer. I write pilot. I do the whole fucking thing, whatever. But the point of bringing that up is I noticed that people started f- fanning out and doing other things than stand-up in this time that you're speaking of. And I think it's because most people don't like, like people we know, use stand-up to get to places, get to jobs, get opportunities, but they don't actually like the art form. They don't like being in front of people. They don't like having to pander to get an audience on their side night after night after night. And I love that game. So I think in pandemic times when people realize that that ticket, you know, the hustle, the everyday, the structure you were just talking about was gone. And people realize maybe they're not a comic and they weren't doing that. So then the other things came in handy. TikTok, front-facing characters, Poetry. I notice a lot of my comic friends are, are very talented, successful poets. Uh, so I, oh. I think there's part of the line there is that I actually just enjoy stand up. I'm on shows with people who are like, oh, why are we still doing this? <laughs> I'm like, give me your time. Give me your fucking time. I'll do five more minutes. How far in are you? How, how long have you been doing this? I just so yeah. it's I started January is like my start month. And so I started and I'm looking at my books right now. Sorry. Uh, 2013. So I'm, I'm about, I'm nine ish years in. So I guess. Yeah. Which it feels That's right. Interesting. Yeah. It's, it's also, it's interesting to hear you talk about it because, um, I like all those things that you're talking about still. Mm-hmm. Like I, I love being with an audience and I, I like, um, and you're a road dog too. Like you go out a lot. Mm. <laughs> I mean that lovingly. Nobody's ever called me a road dog. That actually makes me. That well, makes me feel proud. Well, tours yeah. like my dream. I love. That's why the Margaret Cho job is <laughs> yeah. so great because tours like it for me. I love that job. And you're always on the road. You do tours and you go out quite a bit. Yeah, I go out a lot. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and I really like that part. I will actually say the part that is like at this point a little bit tiring is the. Um, not that that not working well with having a normal life like a mm. a life that where like friendships could develop and mm. dinners could happen and weekends mm. are a thing mm-hmm. and that's been like blowing my mind for the last two years yeah. i literally have been like having an experience that i think is just the experience is a normal like normalcy yeah. Yeah. and i truly am like pointing at it and being like do you all know you could like have a friend that you see? Like, has anybody ever heard of this? It's yeah. like you stay at your house and then you like go for a walk with a friend. Has mm-hmm. anybody heard of that? I like, because yeah. I, I just think so much of, you know, doing live performance has meant making sacrifices around mm-hmm. building a home life mm-hmm. for me. 
Um, and it's been really interesting to realize that I actually, actually like having a home life. I didn't ever. Yes. Domestic like, is like, fun. I didn't know that. I thought mm-hmm. it was like, I literally thought it was like one bag out on the road. Like, well, that's, I like, both. like that was my personality for a while. You know? I love both of those. Right. Like I love the one bag life. Cause then you get to your mm-hmm. hotel room and you're like, I have to make this a home right out of mm-hmm. your bag, which I love that. But I'm very, dom- there's a whole Bjork album about being domestic. Vespertine, get it. It's good. <laughs> All right. Okay. It, it'll make you want to stay home. Um, I was, I just went on a date with a dude, which I never do. That's how sad I was in pandemic. I got on apps, which I refuse to make jokes about because everybody does. But like, that's how, cause I don't have, I'm like you, I don't have a bestie. I don't have a, like I have friends, but I don't have like a friend. You know what I mean? It's different. I live that life. So I went on a date and it was just recently. So I was telling him how excited I was to be booked in the new year in 2022. I was like, yeah, like February, March, I'm out of town like every weekend. And then I watched him kind of do the math in his head. And that's, I'm not, yeah. And then I was like, oh, don't, (laughs) don't tell people that he like, I could see him being like, oh, this guy's not available. Right. But what you just said was like, I wanted, he's a very interesting person. I would love to spend time with him. I was like, I'm not going to fucking give up those shows. (laughs) So if you're, if number one, yes. (laughs) (laughs) If you're you're not meeting people on apps, where where do you usually meet people? Well, it's weird in LA because I was doing what you were suggesting was like, you're just kind of out trying to work all the time. And the hours that you're doing that are not conducive to meeting people. And frankly, I don't know about you. Do you think, I don't think comedy is sexy. Like when I do stand up, it is not sexy <laughs> so i don't meet you don't guys. you don't attract people no i'm like at shows no 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 or if i do they're like <laughs> have forced a career <laughs> working at renaissance fairs or something they're very <laughs> very niche very niche people no i i i will say i think again i think there's like there are so many different microcosms of things but i think for like a queer masculine of center person that is like assigned female birth and sometimes I identify as a woman. I actually think my experience has been that people are pretty interested mm-hmm. in the, um, in, in it. Like, I think, I think people do find it sexy. Uh-huh. I don't, I don't know that I, I think I, I don't know if I always do, but I think, I think it does work. I think that, all of those teeny things, like how people perceive your body, how people perceive your gender, how people mm-hmm. perceive your hair, like mm-hmm. how people perceive your the type of sex that you might say you like to have, everything. I think it all determines how people then approach you after shows. It's like it's like a clash of what's going on in the room and then everything that culture created outside of that, mm-hmm. right? So totally. like, I don't know that a bunch of like gay dudes go to shows like looking to cruise well (laughs) hot folks (laughs) i well that's a very fair statement also because that's not really cruising ground also gay men as a as a gay male performer uh with an audience of gay men is the hardest to win yeah yeah, exactly yes tell me more about this but this is exactly this is exactly what i'm saying it's like not there's like cultural stuff going on totally yeah i i I talk about all the time. The number one thing I say about gay men is that we're cannibals, right? We're so mean <laughs> to each other. We're the meanest to oh. each other. And I hate it. I don't like it. Yeah. I, I try to point it out as much as possible, even though I'm guilty as well. But we are just, we eat each other alive. It's very mean. But we're also, as a default, as a survival skill, right? We're all funny. <laughs> and we're all a personality. You know what I mean? So I definitely think, and I, I think comics do this anyway, but like, when a gay man is watching another gay man on stage be sassy, funny, clever, quick, whatever, every single one of them is like, well, I can do that. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and then there's also, because we're cannibals and we're men, like, I won't fuck that. You know what I mean? So there's a couple really yes-no moments to check in or check out. Um, and also, yeah. I'm, I'm really effeminate, uh, purposefully and naturally. Uh, and I, I stand by this. I say it all the time. I think effeminate men, feminine men are, are uh, an irritant. I really think it gets under the skin of people, of all kinds of people. It irritates them. God, I think that's so, I think that's so interesting. I mean, I do think, again, you know, I think about the power dynamics that are involved in stand-up all the mm-hmm. time. So, mm-hmm. like, it's a, it's a dominance and submission mm-hmm. um, 
art. Like the audience is not supposed to talk, but they are supposed to give you something that you like demand from them, which is laughter. Like it's like very, it's so true. Um, like you are topping the, everyone is topping the audience. They're not supposed to talk. That's the funniest thing. I uh, see. Here's the thing. I am a top and nobody ever believes me. And I, this just reinforces it. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, ex- yes, exactly. Yeah. And so I think when we think about like the types of people the types of ways that people like, like that comics cue the audience that that's what's happening that are mm-hmm. outside of the jokes and the verbal, like mm-hmm. fucking motorcycle jackets. And like, le- like that is a mm-hmm. thing. Like I wear those, you know, who else wears those like fucking Eddie Murphy, you know, yeah. who else wears those? Yeah. Like Andrew Dice, Clay. Andrew Dice Clay, yeah. Anthony Jeselnik. It's like, yeah. it's like, there are, there are people across, like, it's like a thing mm-hmm. because people are like, you know, the, the comic is telling. So I think, I think for, um, a more feminine man, again, just because of like what culture has to say mm-hmm. about like whether or not that can be a dominant person. You know, mm-hmm. there's a little bit of like a mm-hmm. thing going on. I just feel like I've watched this many times from yep. the audience. Yep. There's a thing going on where the audience is laughing and like really into it. It's not that it doesn't go well, but it, it is, I think, confusing when it's like, mm-hmm. wait, am I being like topped by this bottom? You know, and even though mm-hmm. that's not how you identify, and even though that's not really what's happening, it's the same thing as when very feminine women do stand up. Mm-hmm. Because again, I think there's like a this is not like when Ali Wong was pregnant and doing stand up. I think that's mm-hmm. one reason that that like changed culture so much is because oh, really? we don't think about a pregnant woman as being in a position of power. Right. Or saying those things while pregnant. Yes. Right. Whatever yes. those yeah. things are. So okay. I, in the outside world, outside of the standup, just being again, like a feminine, and I think this works for women or any kind of like non straight man, right. Just non that that's who is the common enemy. I think for all of us. Right. So, <laughs> But it's like, so being like uh, working in restaurants and having to be somebody's boss or just in life and having a confrontation, right? When a straight man or even a masculine, whatever that means, man, sees the weaker version, right? The the feminine one is not the strong masculine one. He's the weaker version. They don't like it. They Men don't like when a woman tells them what to do because they can <laughs> top her. Men don't like when a gay man tells them what to do because they can kick his ass, right? So I totally agree with you. It's the being topped and they don't like it or they're like, wait a second, is this F-A-G-G-O-T-T like topping me? <laughs> and I like it. So yeah, I think absolutely. it's both. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And that's something I've always responded to, actually, about your stand-up. I remember the first time I saw you. Like, I remember the, we were at, like, that, whatever that teeny little theater is that's um, in Austin. Um, we were at Moon Tower. Yeah, but there, were, there was, like, a specific thing. I just remember you going out and, you know, especially when you had your long hair mm. and, but, you know, still. But, like, and you're, and, like, the, you know, how you hold your body and how you move on stage and everything. It is wild, but true that like this is still relatively unusual in stand up mm. and then you are very funny and talented but like to to see um like somebody owning their power and having and then displaying their yeah. gender and sexuality in a different way than usually um, it's very cool it, it, thank you that's a lovely compliment um it's the hideout theater i think is where we were that's exactly think, where it was right yeah i very much remember that because i met you james domian Jen Kober, mm-hmm. and just because mm-hmm. that's how she rolls, Jackie Cation crashed the gay show, and I met all of y'all at the like in the yeah. same five seconds. I very much, yeah, that. yeah. That was a great show. That was my first was show. first performance at a festival ever. Was that? Day. I think I remember that. That's what was happening. I just remember that it was very like, uh, like new baby on the block <laughs> kind very of very new baby because, on the block yeah. because not in terms of your performance but because everybody else all knew each other and so i think i was paying like particular attention to what you were doing because i had never seen you before <laughs> my friend and really I, fun. rafi hardest he's a com- comic uh I, I think you've done a few shows with him too he's down and yeah awesome. but we were at, at, at that show in the groom because joan rivers was coming to the theater the paramount like a couple months later this was just also right before she died and i remember asking ralphie a if he wanted to go which we did later go, but we sat separately because he went with somebody else and I had better seats anyway. But I remember asking, Ralphie, we have to go see Joan Rivers. There's no way she's ever going to come back to Austin again, which she didn't. Uh, and B, I was like, and Ralphie, please, because I don't have a bank account. Can you please buy us tickets and I can give you cash? Because I had no, like, 
I had, I was off the grid financially speaking. So I just remember being like, I need someone to go with me, but also I need someone with a, a bank account yeah. to secure the tickets for me. So that's how new baby I was. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's also, wow, that's not that long ago. in LA and you're, you know, describing having some pretty steady work and things like that. That feels like a pretty big change. I was really lucky. I got lucky early on. That Moon Tower gig was one of the big lucky things for me Um, and was able to kind of get the Austin stuff, not fast, but I got it luckily and kind of transported me here to try to get, get all the stuff here. But, how yeah. did you first start working with Margaret? So I, this is the saddest thing ever. So one of the bands I was in was this band called mm-hmm. Show, Show Me Tiger with my friend Susie and Dacia. And we were a queer band, kind of when I thought queer was still a bad word, right? Because that used to be a bad word. Susie's a poet, Suzanne LaFollette. She was a poet and now a firefighter. She's an amazing person. She, used, she was the first person I saw using the word queer and as a powerful thing, right? Which I predominantly use that as an identifier now. Um, because I like the group effort of it, right? Yeah. Like, I feel like we're all in this <laughs> together. Anyway, so we were in a band called Show Me Tiger. And uh, wait, why am I telling you this? What are they talking about? We were Margaret. Talking? Margaret. Oh, that's it. So my other bandmate, Dacia, uh, finally, not finally, was marrying like the love of her life, finally. And they were going to have some big old lesbian boat wedding up in <laughs> Washington, which is like, she's one of my best friends of all time. So, uh, and then I was on a sh- I saw that I was at Dynasty Typewriter and they like were like, and guess what Margaret Cho's gonna be on the show? And it was the same day as my friend's wedding. And so I had to <laughs> to call my friend and be like, <gasps> I'm a star fucker. I'm not coming to your wedding. Uh but I had to because Oh my god. I had to because I'm a I had Margaret Cho. I recorded her on VHS in the nineties just because I thought she was funny, right? No designs on being a comic. Like her Janine Garofalo and Wendy Liebman. I was like, they were on television all the time. And so I just needed to, I saw I'm the one that I want in the theater twice. Like, I'm just a mega nerd for her. Joan Rivers. I really get it. You know what I mean? And I know she's. Actually, I do know what what you mean. Because when she was the first person I saw do stand up live, Margaret was. Same, 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 Uh same. And so, okay. Really short. I got to open for at Moon Tower this last year at the Paramount, which was the first place I ever saw her perform. So I was like oh, opening wow. for her on the stage that I saw, but it was also the first time I saw stand up and like the whole thing. Huge. Like, it was huge. So I just knew that. And so I got to open for a dynasty. And then the next time I, there was like two weeks later, we happened to be on a show again. Um, and then it was just after that, that she, her people reached out and wanted me to start opening for her. And I was like, I'm so glad I ditched my friend's wedding. Like, I'm so glad I did that. I was going to say, I mean, at least for your friend, this is like the best case scenario. Because it, it, it is worse if right. you skip the wedding and then like it goes badly. You're not, you don't even hit it off. And then, like, exactly. Comes from and the, I bombed. Like, this, is a, this, is a, <laughs> right. this story is like, allows the friendship to be preserved in a way. To be, yeah, I, it can yeah. continue yeah. for sure. <laughs> so, and it was, it was one of those, like, I, yeah, I, Another, I actually missed another friend's wedding just in this last November to also open for Margaret. But I was like, I'm sorry. This is like, I'm never going to say no. I'm never going to say no to that job. Yeah, um, I, so, I so hear you. Actually, I mean, you know, somebody that was really instrumental in my... So I like, like yeah, I loved Margaret. My like first girlfriend and I loved her. This is, you know, I was doing improv, but like mm-hmm. I didn't even think about doing stand up yet. She's the first comic I ever saw. Mm-hmm. It is amazing that I just know her now. Well, the people <laughs> that come up to her on the street are all over the place, right? She doesn't just mm-hmm. mean something to like Korean women. Like she means something to fucking right. everyone and not just gay men. Like she doesn't just have a lock. Right. She has a lockdown on a lot of people. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, she, yeah, she's awesome. And I also think I'm just thinking about like <laughs> when you see somebody doing something that you just can't imagine though would be ever possible for you. Like very early when I was a teen and just coming out, my parents were rejecting me. My school was rejecting me, my faith, all this stuff. I was like very alone. Mm. I was living in Boston and the Boston Phoenix, which is like their free newspaper carried Dan Savage's Mm -hmm. um, 
column in it. And, you know, since then, it's like he's a, there's queerness is so, queerness abounds mm-hmm. um, in a way now that it didn't used to, and which doesn't mean that it's perfect right. for we're folks, Dan, but, but we're there, is, there are like, who was Other a hero options. and now he's like a villain to a lot of people and i'm like he's now a villain right. and part of it i think is because because there because there are because there are other options right there's an evolution queerness is yeah. is yes vast yes um but very early he's really important to me and when my sister he's important to me too as a gay man he still speaks uh out of corners that nobody is for us you know what i mean even though yeah he, there are some very, he needs to update a lot of maybe his trans perspectives and just general women thing, but yes, go ahead. Sorry. I don't know. I think he knows that too, actually. But that's, um, the, that's the problem. Cause you're like, you know what you're doing, Dan Savage. Like, you know what I mean? It's like, you're old enough to know better is where the stuff comes in where you're like, I don't know. It's hard. Ga- go ahead. I think it becomes <laughs> hard though. I, well, I want to talk about that in a second, but yeah, I, yeah, I want to yeah. talk. First thing I want to say is that I actually left my sister's wedding t- to <gasps> um, open for Dan. I was you- maid of honor at my sister's wedding. And this is like, this is like 15 years ago. <laughs> I was maid of honor and I left during the reception and I came back, but I like left, went and opened for him in an event wearing a bridesmaid dress. The last time I ever have worn a bridesmaid dress. And then did returned. You, did you address it like on stage? Like why am I dressed like this? Or did yeah, you no, I think I did. Yeah, literally I had like full makeup on and like an updo. <laughs> yes! <laughs> and I was wearing a bridesmaid dress and then returned yeah. to the wedding. So oh, yeah. anyway, um, but... I would have said yes to that gig. Like, I mean, it's funny that yeah. you had, you actually left a job. Maid of Honor is a job. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you yeah. You weren't just yes. a guest. I had, I, had already, I had already completed many of my tasks. Uh-huh. Um, so, did you tell, speech. did you tell everybody what you were doing? Or did you just disappear? I told my sister. Okay. I, yeah, I did tell her like hilarious. I mean, I think she was a little upset. To be sure. sure. But it is what happened. Yeah. Um, also at like a, at like a legendary gay bar in Chicago. <gasps> what the fuck was it called? What oh, is I the, love that. somebody will tell me it's like the club. It's a club that's on. Like near broad. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Tell me what's the most famous gay club in Chicago. Tweet it at me. Yeah. Um, but anyway, um, well, I was going to just to go back to Dan. I actually do th- something that I will just say is in myself. Sometimes I am. I'm realizing that like. It's it is very hard for me, even me to stay connected to and steeped in what is happening in queer culture, mm-hmm. just like as I age and grow <laughs> up, I'm realizing like how much the, because it is, I mean, and I guess this is true, like in general in society, but I think because, because it has been so different for younger people. Um, and the way things are described is so different that I'm realizing, like, I mean, even people my own age sometimes, I'm realizing how non-monolithic the experience of being queer is. I think for a long time, I really thought that we were all having, like, the same experience and that there was, like, one queer culture. Not, not, I mean, I thought everybody has different identities within it and, and we're treated differently based on the, the way our identities are stacked. Mm-hmm. But I didn't necessarily think about like how much um, like proximity to straightness and, and queerness shifts over time. It has in my life. Anyway, mm-hmm. there was a time when I went out more, for instance, mm-hmm. and I have, I'm, you know, I was married and divorced and remarried and, so I don't date anymore. Mm-hmm. And so like, that means that I don't go to the places where dating happens. Where the usually, culture is happening. Which like actually really separates me from what's happening. Mm-hmm. And well, I didn't know that that would happen. Well, <laughs> I feel I, surprised by it. I'm from, I'm 39. So I'm from, I am reared from or formed from the more monolith time where it was like gay, lesbian, like that was mm-hmm. queerness. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And that just meant there was no fluidity. Any any fluidity meant you were in the closet or you were lying to yourself. Um, the trans members of the community and all like the uh, Q plus the QIA pluses weren't even mentioned. The language didn't exist, right? So they had zero representation. And 
so like the, now I feel like now at my age, the plight of the gay man is old news, even though we still get, I still get bigoted. You know what I mean? Like it's still not safe. You know, there are still right. like Will and Grace didn't solve anything. Uh, right. It was, it was just for perspective. Right. Will was played by a passable straight actor. Let's just be honest. So, uh, but you know, AIDS is, now treatable right gay marriage is the supreme court right you know we're rupaul's drag race is mainstream so gay men are fine and the language exists now where it's like honestly and it's fine like you know the like trans issues and i think just even women's issues are kind of more uh center of the conversation in all communities but also queer communities Mm -hmm. um and so the evolution of our culture in the queerness of us all is um is happening in places like you say where i'm not out i don't go to gay bars i don't go out anymore and stuff like that and also there's a confidence i'm from a time where there's a missing generation lots of men died of aids the number of queer of gay people in general the percentages are maybe six percent in la and new york right you go anywhere else and it's three two percent four percent we're not there's not a lot of us so i didn't have a lot of people above me my gay family members are all in their 60s and 70s right there's a gap and underneath us is we is a full generation right so you look at tiktok and you see these really confident young gay queer people right young trans people just like in high school showing themselves being themselves publicly and they can do that they can sort of take it for granted just a little bit i'm not saying they don't have hard lives i'm not saying they don't get assaulted or abused or that still happens trans people have the worst statistics when it comes to abuse incarceration all that kind of stuff so i'm not saying anybody has it easy however the community can kind of flourish when it can be confident right mm-hmm. i'm from a closeted time which i don't i disagree with the concept of being closeted but i'm from the time where people thought you were hiding right and that doesn't exist anymore and so i think the community can just fucking turn to flowers and go big and then people like me can get lapped because yeah that's yeah i hear you i mean i think that's i'm just i'm realizing even as we're talking how i really feel about this which is like (laughs) i didn't realize that like sometimes evolving language or theory or identity is hard for me to keep up with because it's actually not just dating it's also like I'm not necessarily making, I'm making like some new friends, mm. but like the rate of new friends per year is like different than uh-huh. when you're 20. 100%. Like when you're 20, Absolutely. you're making like, like, like well, constant and, groups well, of new friends. And you want to. That's the difference. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah, yes. <laughs> and you actively yeah. want so, that to happen. Yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. So just like the way that social, the way that social interactions are set up is changes over time, you know, mm-hmm. um, and so it is interesting to think about like why am i talking about all this it's not to, mm-hmm. it's not like in it's it's because when we were talking about dan for a second i was mm-hmm. thinking about how um i feel like i'm somebody who really wants to keep up with with how to talk about myself mm-hmm. and how to refer to our community and how to like keep my ear to the ground mm-hmm. and i am finding it hard sometimes mm-hmm. especially in the pandemic i will say like tiktok is really helpful i like yes. i like love tiktok i don't really use it no i like kind of watch it yeah which is very fun i don't there's not another social media platform that i've had that relationship to because mm-hmm. instagram and twitter has been so like fueled by my career aspirations mm-hmm. and then watching other people's career aspirations who mm-hmm. i know and it doesn't feel like a playground it just feels like work yes but tiktok is like me just looking at teens being like what are you up to you know like it's like like a real vacation i fucking love it for that reason i like my Um, drive to make content on tiktok is zero but i love watching yeah learning yeah yeah i think it's like a real it it truly is like a a classroom for me and i'm obsessed with it i also i don't know i i feel like i i watch tv shows that might have like a younger audience sometimes to understand what folks are feeling but it really is that like i think that queer people used to be prevented from speaking to younger generations because there was Mm -hmm. that whole like don't like don't convert and Mm -hmm. like stay away from young kids and like you know when we were like perverts Mm -hmm. and we couldn't connect to but now it's even without that it's like i'm just old and i want to stay at my house yeah (laughs) 
Well, I think there were two things also, because I kind of fell into this. There was, and I don't know that everybody thought this, but I was like, the more you normalize yourself, the more acceptable gay life is because we're just like you. But that's a really fucked up way to think. Do you know what I mean? And so part of me was like, the only thing different about me is that I'm gay. Other than that, I'm normal, right? And that's true, but also you're still closeting yourself and stuff like that. And I just don't think that, like, there's not even remnants of that philosophy. Like, the embracing of just, like, I'm a queer, radical-looking person, sounding person, living person. All that exists now openly, whereas before you were, like, you know, the one guy who ran for prom queen at high school in the 90s. Do you know? is like, that was the one queer flash that you had. Of, of a lifestyle. <laughs> and I'm a little resentful that it's kind of happening right at the time where I'm like, you're, I'm like, let's just like make some dinner and stay. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. What the fuck? <laughs> well, it's funny. Cause like, we'll be on tour and stuff, you know, and I, I have been sober, not sober. I've not been drinking for like a year and a half. I just started drinking over the holidays, but I'm going to go back. There. I'm not drinking again. It's like I, on tour, I don't go out. You know what I mean? Like I don't go out to the local gay bar and stuff. Cause I'm like, I don't want to be the old weird queer dude like with my beverage in the corner like you know what I mean like loitering. It's just different now. Yeah. I wonder if Margaret would ever go with you. That's the only fun I've uh, ever had is going to places after when I don't know when the uh if I could find a place that was like a chill enough vibe where it wasn't mm. like a weird mob scene um <laughs> to enjoy the thing that I had just been around me. I mean, maybe mm-hmm. murder can't, maybe she's like, too, maybe she can't be in that situation. It would always mm-hmm. be a weird mob scene, but mm-hmm. sometimes I have found that you can find a place that has like a, a chill vibe and it feels like participating in the thing when you're on stage, you're not participating. Mm-hmm. So it feels like participating in the thing that just happened around you, which mm-hmm. to me is always like one of the sadder things about being a comic is mm-hmm. like, the fact that it's like this fun time that <laughs> it's you you're like the you're like the person operating the the fun um the tickets for the roller coaster but like you've not been on it <laughs> that's why i hate when people come to see me live because i'm like yeah of course come see me live but i i don't even like the the weird five minutes you may only have to say hello to somebody which is not a celebrity thing it's like i'm busy working and we have to go so i hate that oh kind of God socialness of it all but the one thing i always do is i'll always watch the show whoever i'm opening or working with like i always watch the show because that's like the crown jewel of it all i just i'm like what a privilege i get to watch one of my favorite comedians ever for free work um but then i'm now in this league where i think it's more rock star to be Mm -hmm. like out of the venue back at the hotel wig off with like yeah. room service on the way before the audience has even hit the parking lot. Do you know what I mean? I think that's more rock star than like that is more rock star than, than the after party. <laughs> I don't think of that's like, a... let's party and you know what I mean. Yeah, I don't think that's negotiable. I think you're right. Yeah. Are you are you two playing um, L.A. Uh, me and Margaret? Yeah. Let me see. She we have been the like outlying areas. We've been done your Oxnards and like all your like Maradas and stuff. I'm trying to look at my calendar right now. Well, you could also tell me later. Yeah. Because I'd love to come see you too. That would be so fun. I never go see stand up, but I'd like to come see you too. Yeah. It's a, I mean, like, like I say, I love the job because her audience loves her. So it's, it's, you know, I get to walk in. People don't want to hear from me. Nobody wants to hear the opener, but it's like, I, it's, they're nice to me, which is great. And then I get to watch, like, she's talking about shit right now. And every time I watch, I'm like, oh, yeah, I forgot that I forgot why I love you because she's one of the few that can be political and it's not a rant. It's poignant. Right. Uh, Or she's the one who can kind of bring up like the elephant shitting in the room. And it's not me being some like liberal, you know what I mean? There's just a way to do it that she's so good at calling out the bullshit. Very Joan Rivers style, but in in very much her own. Whereas like the one thing I think about when Joan Rivers died is when things happen, you're like, ah, she's like the one person I would love to hear do a take on this. Yeah. Right. Which is weird for like Betty White dying at 99. How hilarious is it that people want more from a 99 year old (laughs) woman? Like, let her go. (laughs) (laughs) She did it. She gave us a lot. Yeah, that's right. Well, I also think, I mean, this has been a cute time 
on uh today because I, I like that the two I like that the two of us have been talking in such a favorable way about Margaret. I mean, she's been on this show and I've been on her podcast, but I do think that, you know, she's one of those people, I I think, you know, obviously I know a lot of comics respect her, but when we think about like who gets to be on the fucking list of like who are, it's always like straight dudes Mm -hmm. because the people who wrote those lists are the straight dudes who wish that they were those straight dudes. And so I think that sometimes when you take the straight dudes out of the equation, you can like hear that people have different heroes Mm -hmm. and different preferences. Like the, I don't know, there's a very, I think as a comic, there's a very like agreed upon list of comics that everybody's supposed to care about that I actually don't care about at all. Um, I would love to know that list. (laughs) (laughs) I want to know. I've, Bill Burr, don't care. Yeah, he's. I was. I don't care about I love Bill Burr. Bill Some Burr is, care about him. Sure. He, I I, when he's on Conan O'Brien as a guest, I'm like, oh my gosh, he's a really funny guy. And then I'll watch his stand up. Yeah. I'm like, oh, you're a part of the problem. <laughs> he's also he's great in uh, Mandalorian or like you know yeah. whatever. Like yeah. I don't know. It's not. It's not even like a. There's you know. There's no enemy stuff here. Yeah. It's not that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. more so just like just the idea it. that we all have agreed upon heroes and preferences like that, mm-hmm. that stand up comedy mm. all agrees that these well, are our favorites. Wh- what are your thoughts on Joan Rivers? You know, like I, I think that I think, I think Joan, she's complicated. She's very complicated. I think that her, well, I knew people that worked for her. So that's, that's why she's complicated. Yeah. I knew people that worked I knew people that worked for her. So are, are you referencing the writer strike just by, because I yeah. think that's the number one complication with her. I think it's yeah. so bizarre. I've yeah. heard, I've heard the things that she said to the people and I'm like, that's so stunning to me that she would talk to other writers like that when she was a writer first and foremost. Yeah. I mean, you know, Sorry, there was whatever a writer's strike. Happen to somebody, yeah, whatever can happen to somebody when they've been through shit. Mm-hmm. Like it can, it can do anything. It can do anything to you. It, you know what I mean? It showed the me of how pressure, at that age that she was that fragile. At that age, yeah. with that that much success that she it was on. She felt like she was on that thin ice that she couldn't yeah. side with the, her people. Right. Yeah. Totally. I'm sorry. Go ahead. But she is complicated. No. Uh, yeah, I think she's complicated. And I also, I think the thing that my favorite stand-up or like my favorite comedy in general is the personal stuff. So yeah, like I love, I mean, I, you know, I love a, I will, it's not that I won't watch somebody who's doing cultural commentary, but mm-hmm. like for me, what I loved about what Margaret was doing when I first saw her was that mm-hmm. she was talking about her own life mm-hmm. and I had really only seen, um, like straight white dudes talk about their own lives. Mm-hmm. I mean, even at the time, Ellen, I like, and when Ellen was doing stand up, mm-hmm. I loved Ellen's stand up. Mm-hmm. But Ellen talked about topics, she, like airplanes and like tripping and falling, mm-hmm. and like and like mm-hmm. <laughs> and like yeah. cleanses and things like that. Margaret's talking about Margaret's life. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, and that really like cut through for me. Ellen is such a, she is, I won't say she's complicated because she's not, but she's, it's, it's interesting to see her be a villain. Now, uh, I have a major problem with anybody, any queer person sitting next to George W. Bush and having a good old time. I will always have a problem with that, but cause he hasn't done anything for our people. He's only been against us. So I have a problem with that, but people forget that way more than Will and Grace. Fuck that show. Ellen was the one who took the bullet. Gay men were the loudest, but it was a lesbian woman who took the fucking bullet and ruined her career for a second. But everything, you know, you you have a very successful sitcom on network television in the 90s and to have middle America just go, fuck, treat you like the Dixie Chicks. Like people forget that she took the bullet and and really opened the door and the conversation just to be like, I'm a gay person. So what? Uh, and you know what I mean? Like, I just remember her being on Oprah and a priest calling her Ellen degenerate and things like that. Uh, (laughs) you know, so she's, she is complicated, whatever. I didn't work at her show. People have horror stories, whatever, but like, same with Margaret. I don't think people know how queer Margaret is. Do you know what I mean? Like, absolutely. I don't think I, I, she starts talking in audiences. I think Googled her 
and maybe she makes fun of her mom and stuff like that. There's that part of the audience. Right. Um, but what I, I bring that up only because the people who stop her on the street see her 20 times. This is my 20th time seeing you. And like, it's all kinds of people. Like she speaks to so many different kinds of people, which is what I think is the hardest thing to do in stand up to have everybody like you. Also the, that, Oh God, I just went on, this is, we're going to have to stop after this moment, but I just, this is just like, so I just went on, I just went on a, a New Year's Day boat ride with one of my, with a, with a newer friend mm-hmm. from the last like two years. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know that. So this is like, it was a bunch of queer folks. It was, it was, a, it was a sort of, I think people that might describe themselves as lesbians mm-hmm. um, um, or like lesbian plus. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> this one person was sharing that she has seen, she's like our age. Okay. And she was sharing that she has seen the Indigo Girls live 200 times here's okay here's the thing and i have so first of all i think i'm literally gonna have her on query just to talk about this my friend told me that she had seen the indigo girls live 200 times and like i I want to know their age how old is this person all right like our age okay okay like our age Mm -hmm. like a couple years older like early 40s okay so here's so I think I'm gonna have her on the podcast just to talk about this. Oh yeah. Because that is amazing. I didn't know this. I I just found out about this two days ago. It's yeah. been on my mind ever since. <laughs> okay. So here's where I uh, okay, I've seen Tori Amos in concert eleven times. There we go. Okay. Now, but right. here's the thing. I for it, it, that is a low number in her world. Okay. And that's that's actually so true. I have seen Tori in concert one time. Okay. Only one time. Yes. Ooh, I but want I to know understand. when. When and where. But I understand the vibe. Oh, it was like when I was in high school. Okay. Yeah, I want to know era. where. Where? What state? Uh, in Chicago. Okay. Year. Nineties. Nineteen ninety-nine. Great year. Great with a band. Did you have a band? Yes. Okay, yeah. I probably have a bootleg of that concert. <laughs> so I, I started going to her shows in the 90s, right? Which And I met this girl, this woman, Dor, D-O-R. And in the 90s, she'd already seen her like 130 times. So <laughs> I'm not kidding. There, when I say I've seen her 11 times, that is a lowball number. People are like, ugh, like 30, 40 is kind of normal. And then your 100, right. 200 is like... You come across that more than I thought. So I don't know what it is about queer performers and their psycho audience members. <laughs> it's like, it's not having, it's like that feeling of like this, this feels normal. Yeah. This is me feeling normal. <laughs> yeah. And then recapturing that 200 times, but you know, like, like do the it's girls, amazing. Now this I'll say, Tori Avis is a bit like fish. You get a different set list every show. So you're never going to see the same show twice. I Cannot believe that the Indigo Girls switch it up that much. All right, but hang on a second. But hang on a second. I'm gonna only. I'm gonna only fight you on this. Mm. But they're they're actual musicians and great singers. Okay. So the same way that the that like Fish and so there's there are sometimes sometimes you're gonna see a show and it's gonna be like a performer. Uh, But I think if you're seeing a musician, even if they're doing the same set list, mm -hmm. maybe they don't sound the same every Mm -hmm. night because Mm -hmm. they're like performing. As a music, you know what I mean? Absolutely. So there's different, there's different types. Of people so like I there's saw performers and there's musicians. I saw the Smashing Pumpkins in concert five times, but it was only. Ooh, excuse. I know. Thank you. Uh, but it was only because I just wanted to stare at their bassist Darcy because I was obsessed with her. She was like, <laughs> oh my God, you know yeah. what I mean? It was like musically, yes. I could take it or leave it. I mean, I loved their music, but I was like, I just wanted to be in the room and just watch her. So it was like, that's what was taking me to that place was I just was, a, she put me in a spell. Um. So, yeah, I think there is part of that. Listen, I've sat next to enough people weeping at Tori Amos concerts to know that there's something else going on than just yes. loving, <laughs> loving the music. Yeah, I've witnessed. Um, so, yeah, I'd love to actually meet your Indigo Girls friend because I would love to ask them. Don't you want to know everything about her? Yes, well, what's the, what's the best show? What is the best show? I didn't, I didn't even ask that. We, mm. I, we, there was like... The conversation, for some reason, mm. moved on to something else, Ow! which is stupid. <laughs> That's hilarious. That is so funny. I, um, but yeah, I want to know. Yeah, I have a hundred questions. Like, what's do they listen to bootlegs? I mean, it has to be their their jam is the live thing. Are they like? Yeah, 
Do you know that band? Yeah. Okay. I, I'll listen. I want to know. I want to know that. Okay. Yeah. Because unfortunately, I'm. That's what I love about being a live comic. And honestly, this is not to get all full circle and stupid, but it's one of the oldest things you can do in the world, right? Is like, and bands do it too, which is why when I was a musician, transitioning into co- comedy was really the same thing. Because live is where it's at, and it's like the oldest thing in the world to be like. I traveled great distances and here's this little thing I've been working on to show for you. Right. Oh my God, I love that so much. But people have been doing that for thousands of years, right? Like that, <laughs> it's a very human thing to gather the group and be like, this yeah. is what I've been working. You know, painters do it. Everybody does it. But like, there's something about getting all your little, your little bag of shit together and crossing the plains. So yeah. the fact that the Indigo girls are still t- churning it out and people want to line up for it amazing exactly amazing exactly amazing yeah i I love that daniel it has been so nice to talk to you today i know Um, thanks for having me before you go back into your day i always ask people to shout out a queero which is like a person place or thing (gasps) that made you feel that you could be who you are today you want to shout out a queero oh shit i love that um a queero someone that made me feel like i could be the person that i am today there's a lot um does it have to be like a public person i'm never good at on the spot no this um a queero i'm gonna say it it's my drag mother chuck um drag grandmother chuck i'll say she's in austin texas she grew up in brooklyn in the 20s and 30s well by her great by her grandmother in brooklyn she didn't go to stonewall that night because she heard we heard there was trouble so we went to the other bar right so chuck is a diamond uh and always kind of encouraged my like inner drag queen which i think was encouraging just your inner queer your inner femme you get to be more than just a a, a man or whatever uh but the reason Chuck is my queero is because uh, subtly could see something in me that I wasn't like kind of living it to the fullest potential. I struggle with that kind of daily. I think everybody does. But just in passing, this is years ago, one of the first times we met, Chuck just looked at me and says, don't think you can just take it out and dust it off. And mm. well, he meant you can't just sit there and think you can take it off the shelf and it's going to be as sparkly as it was when you put it up there. Like you need to, I, he was talking about himself and he was passing that on to me. And I was like, yeah, uh-huh. like get it while you can buddy. Cause it goes fast. And I think he was talking like, don't live a humble queer life. What's the point? Oh my God. Yeah. We love Chuck. We do love Chuck. We love Chuck. Yeah. And I guess also Celine Dion, but I probably shouldn't open that can of worms. <laughs> do you know that the Facebook Live thing we both went to, you can look it up because you saw us get kicked out of the seats we tried to sneak into, which I love. But if you look it up, right, they, there's a, a sweeping camera shot of the audience, right? When they go, ladies and gentlemen, Celine Dion. <laughs> And the little brown leather coat that a little Cameron Esposito's <laughs> wearing, before they say Celine Dion, there's one person at the bottom of the screen that goes, yes! <laughs> and it's you. <laughs> I swear to God. You see this little part that <laughs> And it's you. I, I actually do know that's true because I, only rec- I also recently told my parents that. And that's how much I love her. I love I her so much. Really fast. So... That yeah. that's what tricked me was that day. I was I'm a sonic nerd. I'm a musician, so I was watching her sing, kind of laughing because I was like, "A Celine Dion, it's a weird show. Who cares?" And I was like, "Whoever's working her vocal mic has her like dialed in. She sounds amazing." And then I sat there for one more second. I was like, "No, that's her." I was like, "That's just the talent." And then all of a sudden, I got it. I was like, "Wow, she is extraterrestrial." Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I got it. I was yeah. laughing at her. And then in one second, I was like, oh my God. Oh my God. It's breathtaking. I have goosebumps just thinking about Celine Dion performing because she's, she's so, it's just the idea of like being able to have that level of mastery over your body mm-hmm. is wild. Mm-hmm. Have you ever seen Bjork live? Mm-mm. Similarly, like she, people, mm-hmm. 
think she's very silly, but like you just watch that come out of her mouth and you're like, whoa, it's really nuts. Always affects me. Yes. Like I feel this, like I, well, anyway, but this is a whole conversation. We can go go through like people that I no, It's like St. Vincent, Florence Welch. Like there are people that I, when you see them perform, you're like, oh, Oh, Perfume mm-hmm. Genius. Mm-hmm. Perfume Genius is amazing. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Queeros are Chuck, Celine. <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, is your, wait, can people watch your, is your special out? Can people watch it? Yeah, it's called Hose Parade because it's live at the Rose Bowl. Why watch the Rose Parade when you can watch the Hose Parade? Uh, and it's on all the streaming <laughs> stuff. Uh, I have a half hour uh, on unprotected sex with epics. That's out all over the places. You can just find it. Just Google me. Beautiful. Yeah. Sounds thanks. great. I'm sure the folks will. And it was so nice to talk to you. Back at you. Thanks, Cameron. Thanks.